So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a cock crowed. I don't know if any of you have struggled with computers, software, hardware, whatever it might be. Stuff that you just can't get your head around. It just doesn't do what you want it to do. I had a, a new printer the other day. Just couldn't connect it um, to, um, to my computer. I just assumed, of course I assumed I knew what I was doing. I don't need a manual. I just plug it in. It'll work. Of course, um, it didn't. Um, so, so I tried the manual. Uh, there are lots of manuals um, in many languages. And eventually, you find a bit in English and just absolutely clueless. So I asked Victoria. Even, even less help. So, <laughs> so I ring. I, you know, I ring IT support. Um, turn it, turn it off and on again. No, doesn't work. They send me more instructions. You know, click on this button. This dropped out. No, I can't even find. Oh, because I'm using Windows 11, not something else. Um, 
I basically either just have to keep on banging my head against a brick wall or I just have to give up. Because either way, there's, I'm just not getting there. I'm failing. But eventually you realize that what you need is someone just to take over and do it for you. Uh, I, need to, I need to step back from that computer and they need to step in. Now, if you're, if you're at school and that happens, a teacher comes in and does it. If you're at work, you get someone from IT to actually come. If you're at home, they do that clever thing where they do it remotely. And they are working your computer instead of you. You can't do it. So they take over and they do it and the job is done. And the printer's now connected and I can print to my heart's content. I can't do this. Only they can. I need to stop trying myself. I need them to do it for me. And in today's passage, John wants us to understand that none of us can do it for ourselves. Only Jesus can. We need Jesus to step in and do it for us. Well, we're not talking about computers. So let's, um, let's see what we are talking about. Let's start with verses um, 12 um, to 14. So page 1090, um, if you've got it there. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our substitute. We, um, we finished last week um, at night in the garden where Jesus confronted the soldiers who came to arrest him. And now in verse 12, they do arrest him. They tie him up and they take him to the high priest for interrogation. First, though, they take him to this chap, Annas, who had been high priest a few years earlier. And his son-in-law, Caiaphas, is the current high priest. And John reminds us in verse 14 there that it was Caiaphas who had said it would be good if one man should die for the people. Why is John reminded us of this? Because it's what's going to shape the rest of the story. He wants us to think back to when Caiaphas said that and what was going on then. And it was back in chapter 11. The problem for us is that um, we were looking as a church at chapter 11 in October 2022. Um, So we might have forgotten. But it is only a few chapters ago, so John would expect us to make the link. So we're going to read it to remind ourselves. So it's back on page 1083. We're going to read from verse 48. It should be on the screen. Um, Let me read it. If we... Oh, a little bit more. If we, the council of Jewish leaders, let him, that's Jesus, go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, the council are worried that the whole nation will be destroyed if Jesus carries on attracting followers. So cynical Caiaphas, he speaks up. It's much better that one person dies instead of all the people. So let's put Jesus to death. Jesus dies, 
the people live. But in all his scheming, little did Caiaphas know that he was actually saying, what was God's plan? He was prophesying, it says, without realising it. Jesus really was going to die for the people, for all his people from all over the world and all over time. So what does it mean for Jesus to die for his people? That word for is, is quite a common word in Greek. It's used 12 times in John. Ten of them to describe dying for someone. So in chapter 10, Jesus laying down his life for his sheep. Uh, Chapter 13, Peter offering to lay down his life for Jesus. Or chapter 15, the greatest love of laying down one's life for one's friends. And that that word for could just mean in someone's interest. Uh, that when one person dies, some good is achieved for somebody else, in the same way somebody could die for a cause, to benefit that cause. So, um, as an example, um, in 1913, um, the suffragette uh, Emily Davison was killed when she threw herself in front of the king's horse at the Derby. She died for the cause, the cause of votes for women. She was described as a martyr. 5,000 women marched at her funeral. 50,000 people lined the route. Five years later, women won the vote. She died for a cause, and people rallied to that cause. And there are some people who think that when Jesus died, he died for us in that sort of sense, uh, that he died for a cause, perhaps to inspire people uh, to follow his example. Now, Jesus' death is definitely for the good of his people. And it is an example. But there's much more to it than that. Because this word for also means instead of, or in the place of. So when Jesus dies for his people, he was dying not just for their benefit, but in their place. How do we get that from John? Well, because he tells us so clearly in in chapter 11, verse 50, up there on the screen, the council was worried that the Romans would kill the people. Caiaphas said it would be better if one man died for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. There's an either or. Either the people die or Jesus dies. Jesus is to die instead of, in the place of, his people. And so, back in chapter 18, verse 12 uh, and 14, when John reminds us what Caiaphas said earlier, that one man should die for the people, we're meant to remember what that meant, that Jesus will die instead of the people. In chapter 11, the Jewish leaders were worried that it was the Romans who would destroy the people. They thought the Romans would kill Jesus instead of killing the people. But here in chapter 18, John shows us what's really going on. Look back at verse 11. Jesus has just said he's going to drink the cup that his father has given him. We, uh, we looked last week at Psalm uh, 75, verse 8, to help us understand that. I've got that on the screen. A cup that the, the wicked shall drain to the dregs. A cup that Isaiah describes in, in chapter 51 as the cup of God's wrath, his anger. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, 
the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. So at this moment where Jesus is arrested, John is, is explaining why Jesus had to die. We've seen that he's going willingly, totally in control, but why is he going? He's going to drink the cup of God's wrath. That is the cup that the wicked should drink. And he will drink it for his people, in the place of his people. Jesus will take on himself the punishment for sin that we deserve. He will die instead of us. That's what people call a penal substitution. It's what the Bible teaches from Old to New Testament. There is a penalty for sin, the wrath of God. But Jesus is our substitute. He takes our place and takes our punishment on himself. So that's the context for the story in today's passage. Now, I've spent a long time explaining it because it's crucial to understand what is going on, what John expects us to understand as we read on, that Jesus is our substitute. So we'll read the story again. Uh, There are three scenes, three scenes where Peter fails and Jesus succeeds. So we'll start with scene one. That's the, the courtyard. This is verses 15 to 17. Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. We we don't know for sure who that other disciple was, but he and Peter are the only ones to follow Jesus to the high priest's house. The other disciple knows the high priest, so he he has a word, and Peter's allowed in in two. And as they're, as they're going into the, the central courtyard, a simple question from the servant girl on the door. You're not one of them too, are you? I think she knows the answer. Uh, she's only letting Peter in because he's with the disciple that she already knows about. I think she's mocking, sneering. What a failure you lot have been. So here's Big, strong Peter, the rock. He's just drawn his sword to fight Jesus' enemies. And a servant girl. Perhaps the least powerful person there. And Peter can't stand up to her. I'm not. Three years of discipleship, three years of of close friendship is as nothing Peter, who in in chapter 13 said that he'd die for Jesus, here in the darkness, denies him. Peter fails. It's so quick. I'm not. And the coldness of his answer is palpable. It was cold. And Peter stands there with Jesus' enemies and warms himself by the fire. 
can we think of situations where we've denied Jesus, denied following him, maybe something as quick as this. You don't go to church, do you? You don't believe that, do you? Just a passing comment from someone at school or, or at work, a friend in the pub or at the school gate, and we just stand with them, laughing it off, warming ourselves, pretending we're in with them, avoiding the, the difficult conversation, just going along with the crowd. Maybe we don't want people to think less of us. Maybe we think, I'll leave it for now, I'll come back to it later. Maybe we just don't feel confident about what we do believe. Whatever the reason, I think we know we've all been there. We can be so like Peter. Well, the camera now moves from, from, the, uh, from the courtyard into the house itself, from Peter to Jesus. So it's scene two, scene two, the trial. This is verses 19 uh, to 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he'd said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the high priest, Annas, starts by asking Jesus about his disciples, perhaps because that's what they were worried about, that Jesus' followers would be the reason the Romans would destroy them. Or perhaps he was mocking. You know, last week there were large crowds. Where are your disciples now, Jesus? And we know it's even worse than that because we've just heard Peter's denial. So what about Jesus' teaching? Perhaps Annas wanted Jesus to incriminate himself, to justify the death sentence, because this is just a show trial. They'd already decided the verdict. We read that in, in chapter 11. They'd made plans to put him to death. A real trial shouldn't be at night, and there should be witnesses. And Jesus keeps pointing this out. Why are you asking me? Ask the witnesses. If I said something wrong, bear witness to it. There are plenty of people who heard Jesus. His teaching was public and open. But there are no witnesses saying that Jesus said anything wrong. Because he didn't. The point is, Jesus is innocent. Jesus' word is truth. And, and failing to trip him up, they resort to violence and hit him. They have no argument. They have no grounds for conviction. Do you see the contrast in how Peter and, and Jesus are questioned? One... One by the lowly servant girl, one by the powerful high priest. But where Peter fails, Jesus succeeds. Peter denies Jesus. Jesus stands by his word. So Anna sends him on to Caiaphas. The show trial had begun with one high priest and ends with another. Verse 19, it's high priest Annas, who in verse 24 sends Jesus on to his son-in-law, high priest Caiaphas. I think it's a bit like um, America. Uh, former presidents are, are still called Mr. President. Um, 
high priests were supposed to be for life, but Annas had been, he'd been deposed by the Romans, and a, a succession of family members uh, became high priest after him. This year it was, it was Caiaphas. But Annas seems to be the power behind the throne, uh, perhaps like a, a former president calling the shots when um, the current one is, is a bit weak. And, and so I think, I think John wants us to get this sense of confusion and corruption. Because there in the middle, amidst the mess of the failed priesthood and a, and a kangaroo court, is the true high priest, Jesus. The one who had taught the people God's word openly and clearly, not like the, the secretive scheming of, of these false priests, but the one who is about to sacrifice not a, not a bull, a goat, or a lamb, but himself, the innocent one, the Passover lamb, who will die for, on behalf of, in the place of, his people. And now the camera pans back to Peter. So we're at scene three, the courtyard, verses 25 to 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a cock crowed. It's the same scene as before. The fire, the servants... It's even the same question. And maybe we're hoping that this time he'll get it right. Yes, I am one of his disciples. But no, it's the same denial. I am not. It's Groundhog Day. We're going round and round in the same hopelessness. Peter just can't do it. The repetition emphasises his failure. And John's weaved these courtyard scenes deliberately around the trial scene. See, look, verse 25 could have run straight on from verse 18. But in the middle is Jesus. That trial scene is, is boxed in by these scenes of failure. Just as Jesus himself is surrounded there alone in the courtroom. Evil is gathering. The darkness and the coldness are, uh, are becoming a maelstrom. And Jesus stands firm in the eye of the storm. The contrast between Peter and Jesus is huge. Peter can't. Jesus can. Look at the words of, of Peter's denial. I am not. Twice now he said it. It's a deliberately negative echo of, of Jesus' words in the garden, verses 5 and, and 8. We seek Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Or literally, I am. Twice. I am. Twice, Jesus assumes the name of God himself, the I am, the Lord, the God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. But Peter, are you one of his disciples? I am not. Jesus is the one. 
Peter isn't. Jesus is the one who can die in the place of his people. Jesus is the one who can, who can drink the cup of God's wrath. Peter can't. We can't. But Jesus can. The scene finishes as, as Peter denies Jesus a third time and the cock crows. And we, and Peter, remember what Jesus had told him earlier that same evening, back in chapter 13. We'll have a look at verses 36 to 38 on the screen. But verse 38 says, Jesus answered to to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Just like in the garden. As he goes to his death... And his followers abandon him, we see he's totally in control. This is the plan. This is how he's going to drink that cup and save his people. He knew Peter would fail. Despite all Peter's bluster and and promises to follow and fight, Jesus knew Peter better than than Peter knew himself. And now Peter realises that. Jesus is going ahead with his plan to to die for his people, even though his people are such failures. Even knowing what Peter was really like, that Peter was about to deny him, Jesus will still die to save him. Or actually, because Peter and the other disciples and we are such failures, that's why Jesus had to die to save us, because we can't do it ourselves. Only Jesus can. Well, those are the three scenes What are we going to do with this story? How are are we like Peter? How are we not to be like Peter? Well, firstly, know that I can't. John doesn't want us to look at Peter and say, right, I just need to try harder than Peter to follow Jesus. That's what I need to do. That's not the point of the passage. Peter's already been trying hard. That was his problem. Look back at, at chapter 13 again. Verse 37, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Impetuous Peter, I'll die for you, Lord. I'll die in your place. And he was willing. There in the garden when he drew his sword, he was up for it. He'd fight to save Jesus, even if it cost him his life. But he can't do that. He can't die in Jesus' place. Because the death that Jesus has come to die, verse 11, is the cup the Father has given him to save his people from sin. And none of us can do that. Because none of us is innocent. We all deserve the punishment. Jesus didn't. And none of us could bear it because it would destroy us. Only Jesus, God himself, could take the punishment and save us. Peter was thinking in, in worldly terms. Maybe... Maybe to free the people from the Romans or from corrupt Jewish leaders. He drew his sword when he thought there was still hope and he gave up when he thought there wasn't. Peter failed because he hadn't understood why Jesus came. He thought Jesus' death was a failure. But John wants to see that in all of this, Jesus is succeeding. The cross was a glorious victory. And if we don't understand that Jesus came to die for us, to take the punishment for our sin, to save us, then we'll fail too. 
If we think that following Jesus is just about trying harder, we'll fail. I could have kept going with that printer. I'd never have got there. Could have given up. Whether I'd fought on or given up, it was still a failure. Until I realised I couldn't do it on my own, that I needed someone to take over and do it instead of me. And I need to to realise that I can't sort out the mess of my own life. I can't deal with my own sin. I need Jesus to step in and just do it. I need Jesus to take my place and die the death I deserve. I can't. He can. And so, secondly, only Jesus can. That's the next slide. Only Jesus can. If you you don't yet know Jesus, please understand that he's the only one who can save us. Like Peter and the other disciples, simply trust him. Stop trying to do things your own way and accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. He died to give it to you because there's no way we'd get there on our own. Maybe some of us might be thinking that Jesus doesn't know me. We know our, our secret sins that we dread anyone finding out because no one would forgive that. We know how much we've hurt people and if they can't forgive me, Jesus won't. But there's nothing about you that Jesus doesn't already know. He went to the cross for Peter, knowing that Peter would deny him. He knows our failures. You might think they're terrible, that God couldn't forgive them, but he, he knows what you're really like, and he still went to the cross for you. And so, like Peter, like Peter will, we can follow Jesus. As we close, we'll see the encouragement for us day by day. Look at verse 36 um, of chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. You will follow. It's a promise. Chapter 18 is pretty grim for Peter. But we'll see in chapter 21 how he's restored. This is not the end of his story. He's failed now, but soon he'll follow. After Jesus has died and risen. After Jesus has fulfilled his mission. A mission that Peter understood so clearly when he wrote in his letter later. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We can't die for Jesus. But once Jesus has died for us, we will follow. We can't begin to follow Jesus until we trust in his death for us. But then, we can. However messed up it looks in our lives now, however much you've failed to follow Jesus recently, maybe even denying him to your friends and colleagues, Jesus is totally in control. He knows where you are. Trust him. Ask for forgiveness. He's already forgiven you. He will restore you and put you back on your feet. And in his strength, you will follow. I can't do this. Only Jesus can. So let's trust him and he will help us follow. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for this story of Peter helping us understand that we can't do it ourselves, that we need Jesus to die for us. Help us to trust him, the one who knows all our failures and still went to the cross for us. Please, Lord, help us trust and follow you. Amen.